divine intervention, uh, this week I'd like to talk to you about uh, provision in the wilderness. Now, as I was saying before I went off on a long rant of other things, it's been a couple of weeks, so just as a reminder, we talked about God uh, being a divine intervention and our need for deliverance and how He delivered the children of Israel. Uh, he made an open show of the gods of Egypt and delivered them out of the bondage of the Egyptians. And then He, he used uh, the children of Israel as bait to kind of bait the enemy in and uh, open up the Red Sea, and, and God defeated the enemy. And we saw where, where God is not only the one that saves us, but He's the one that keeps us saved. He's the one that helps us to continue in that salvation and walk in that deliverance. And today, we're going to talk about His provision in the wilderness. If you look at Exodus 16, we see where God walks with us as we journey through the desert of sin. Now, isn't that exciting? God walks with us as we journey through the desert of sin. Exodus 16, verse 1. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day they are to prepare what, what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord because He has heard your grumbling against Him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, You will know that it was the Lord when He gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning, because He has heard your grumbling against Him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. So we see this situation here where the children of Israel now are past the Red Sea, and they've walked into a place called the Desert of Sin, or it's actually pronounced the Desert of Sin, uh, like an S-E-E-N, as in though I've seen something, you know, even though that's not right English, proper grammar. <laughs> I've seen something. Uh, the Desert of Sin, and, and folks, but, but I see it, I'm going to say it as sin, because I think that that's what it's there for, is for us to understand what God's saying and what God is showing us. We walk through this, this wilderness, this life, this journey that we're on, and God has got plans for us to take us to new places that we never dreamed or imagined. There's a whole lot more that He wants to do in our lives than just for us to come to the altars, cry out to Him, get saved, and walk out the door and never be, you know, never change, never do anything else. He wants to take us places. Now, He's delivered them from the enemy. He's delivered them out of the bondage of the enemy. He's delivered them out of their hand. He's brought them across the Red Sea. He's got them out of Egypt, and now He's going to get Egypt out of them. Has anybody ever been there before? Now we look at this, and uh, in the Hebrew, that word seen, is, is, uh, it means thorn or it means clay. So it means thorn and clay. And as I was researching that and preparing for this message and everything, I looked at it and that piqued my interest. And, and uh, anytime you see thorn, we talked about this a little bit in our Bible study a couple weeks ago before I left. Uh, the fact that anytime you see a thorn like that all through the scripture, it's an interesting thing to look at because we realize and recognize where thorns came from and we recognize where thorns ended up on Jesus' head. Thorns were started in the Garden of Eden because of the fall of man. Genesis 3 
Verse 17 to Adam, he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will now return. So we see this, we see two things. We see thorns and we see dust. Mankind coming from what? The ground. And we see thorns placed there for mankind to have to deal with because he was fallen. Thorns were part of the curse. So, so you're saying, what are you talking about? Hold on a second. Hold on a second. We see clay. We see thorns. And Paul even mentioned and talked about this in Scripture that we understand God. We now have God contained within us, an understanding of who Christ is, the glory of His face. Uh, it's enclosed and encompassed in uh, earthen vessels or in one version, in NIV, it says jars of clay. We are jars of clay. And there are thorns because of the fall of man, because of the sin that we have to deal with. So it's a neat picture to see that this, this desert is called sin, which is interpreted as thorns and clay. And now I even think of Paul. Think of this. In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul says this about himself. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh. A what? A thorn in my clay. There's a thorn in my flesh, in my jar of clay, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Oh, some of you is going to start getting this here in just a minute. The valley of sin, the valley, the desert of sin, this desert of thorns and clay that they had to walk through. Why? So that God could show their weakness and their great need for Him and so that He could divinely intervene to show His provision and to show them what they really need. You know what? That, that's what this life is about, folks. We walk through a desert of sin. We walk through a life that's full of thorns. It's full of trouble. We are just jars of clay walking through this desert of sin. And God is crying out to us. He's doing all that He can to win our hearts. And He's intervening for us even in our imperfections. God is so big, church. This morning before you leave today, you're going to see that God is just so big. He is so much bigger than we give Him credit for. He is in control of so many more things than what we can understand. Paul who had seen so much, Paul who had been so blessed, Paul who had, who had been delivered by God and seen great visions of heaven and been used in great ways, needed the valley or this desert of sin, this thorn in his flesh to keep him from getting proud and conceited and full of himself. So he embraced it because he realized in this weakness, God is making me strong through him. I cannot do this on my own. I need him through me. And I wouldn't have that unless I was afflicted first. Amen. So I'll receive it. Paul was a really deranged individual. That man could be happy in affliction. I, I can't understand it. All the stuff that Paul went through, he says, I'm going to embrace it. And he said, I'm going to be happy because in my weakness, I'm made strong. By whom? By Christ. It's through Christ who strengthens me. The children of Israel 
needed the, 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 the desert of sin because they had just come out of this great deliverance. They had just come out of this, this magnificent display of power by their God in multiple ways and deliverance over the enemy and, and defeated of the enemy. But God did not want to leave them in their unconverted hearts. and their, Even though they were saved and they were out of there, they were not in relationship with God. There was a division. There was a barrier. They questioned Him at everything. Isn't that the way a thorn is? A thorn. I, 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 we've been working in our house and we, we, we redid our kitchen and there was an area in front of our, our living room door that I had to put tile down and we had some ceramic tile there before. Well, when we built our home, I was worried about it popping up so I doubled up the plywood and I put liquid nails in between the plywood and then I glued it and screwed it in every six inches. Men in the room know what I'm talking about when I say I had to pull that up. Thank God for a rotary hammer with a chisel. And, and I had to put down a small layer, too, just to cover up all the gouges I made in the floor. But my point is this. The whole thing came out in splinters. And my hands were full of splinters. And when you think you got all the splinters, you don't have all the splinters. When you think you got the thorns out and you think you're good, that's right, just rub something the wrong way. And you'll find it. Amen? You think, oh, no, I'm clean now. I'm good now until you do this and go, ah! <laughs> trying to get the stupid splinter out of you. It's this big, you can't even hardly see it, but it feels like somebody drove a stake through you. Stake. <laughs> come back, come back. You think you're okay until somebody rubs you the wrong way. Listen to me. What is the desert of sin good for? The desert of sin is good for exposing what is hidden inside of our hearts. Why? Because you think you got it all good. I'm delivered. I'm delivered. I come to the altar. I pray. And that's fine. You walk out the door and then somebody rubs you the wrong way and you realize just how big of need you are in God. Jesus loves you and I love you and I want to try not to kill you. It takes those moments. Listen, we live in a fallen world and God uses this fallen world to rub us the wrong way sometimes so that we can expose to ourselves what's hidden away in our hearts that needs to be dealt with. And that's what's happened with the children of Israel. They had come out, as I said, out of Egypt, but God said, you, I've, come, I've got you out of Egypt, now I want to get Egypt out of you. You don't even realize how full of the world you are until you face some trouble in your life. We don't realize how full of the world we are until the, we start hearing the philosophies come out of our mouth when we're in a tight situation, when somebody's offended us, when something went wrong at work, when we've had a bad week or a bad day, and then all of a sudden, oh, you better not come near me, buddy. I'll show you how unsaved I really am. Isn't that what happens? Oh, the desert of sin is a mighty strange place we live in, isn't it? This journey we walk through that, that stirs our emotions and the things that come out of us that reveal how bad the situation really is and we begin to show our heart and attitude toward God just like these people. Their, their heart and their attitude would go off and they would blame everybody else and they would blame God and they would have the pity parties and say, oh no, oh no, this is just awful. I, I, I should have just died back there. At least I wouldn't have died hungry. Now I've got to die hungry. That's what happens, man. We, 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 we get like this. Listen, this morning I'm kind of going away from my notes. I don't even care. Listen, I've been on vacation, so you never know what's going to happen. God, God is taking you somewhere, okay? This is not just come and play church week in, week out with Pastor Bob, because Pastor Bob don't like that, all right? God doesn't like it. No, the Spirit of God doesn't like it, okay? Don't, don't play games. 
Get real or get out, one or the other. That's what God wants. Don't just come in here and be comfortable, take your little communion cup and your bread and, and say, oh, I'm saved, it's all good now, forget me the rest of the week. No, God wants relationship, all right? He wants to do, he's taking you somewhere. You can't sign up for a college class and say, I'm going to be an engineer and go to it occasionally, half-heartedly, and think someday I'm going to graduate an engineer. It's not going to happen. God wants to take you somewhere, and it takes dedication and commitment and faithfulness to him because he's going to be faithful to you. He's going to be. I can tell you what, in my life I can look back years over years over years and see how many times I did what these people are doing right here where God delivered me and then the first little bit of trouble comes up and I'm mad at God again. Yelling, angry, driving fast, uh, slamming on the brakes, hitting the dashboard, at home wanting to punch a hole in the wall, uh, yelling, screaming, ah, God, God, God. And God's going, what is the matter with you? Okay, Bob, I love that to happen. Now do you see what's inside of you? Not very pretty, is it? Boy, to look back over my life and see how he's intervened and what he's done is amazing. To prepare me to get me to where I am today and the things I go through today is preparing me for tomorrow. Church, don't give up hope in the valley in the desert of sin. Don't don't give up in this world that's surrounded with trouble and thorns for your clay. Because there's going to be thorns in your clay, but in the desert, most people say things don't grow in the desert. Things can't grow in the desert and, and, and things die in the desert. Well, some things die in the desert, some things grow in the desert, but I'm going to tell you the things that die are the things that aren't connected to their life source. Amen? Amen? Who is your life source today? These individuals were without things. They, they were in need of some things. And, and some things grow and some things die, but the things that grow are going to be the things that are connected to Christ. We've got to remember, secondly, that, that in life, that conflict brings opportunity for miracles. In, the, in Exodus 16, the people come into the desert of sin and they realize their need for food and they begin to grumble and complain and, and all of this stuff. But we see what the purpose was here in the Scripture. If you look back again, Exodus 16, verses 6 through 8. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know. Everybody say no. no. Oh, it's pathetic. You will know. No. Did you? Don't tell me no. That's what I used to get told when I was a little kid. Don't tell me no. But that's a different no. That's just N-O. Anyway. In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. In the morning you will see the glory, everybody say glory, glory. of the Lord, because He has heard your grumbling against Him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, you will know that it was the Lord when He gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning because He has heard your grumbling against Him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. We see multiple places here where God is telling them in that moment, like I said, where, where we, we have that thorn and we realize and we get mad and we blame everybody else and we go off about things and, 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 and God's saying, I'm wanting to reveal to you what's going on. We see what God's desire is that they would know. I want you to know. I want you to see the glory. I want you to see. I want you to know that it was me. It was God that delivered you out. The same God that delivered you is the same God that's going to sustain you. I want you to know. God wants us to know Him, church. I know this is easy. I know it's basic. Secondly, we, we know 
that even in their imperfection, God intervenes. <laughs> now, this goes against Pentecostal doctrine all the time. You've got to be perfect before God can intervene in your life. You've got to have the right faith, Pastor. If you have the right faith, then God can intervene. Because your faith dictates everything. Pastor, you can't, God's not going to intervene if you're living in sin. Listen to me. I've seen people live in sin and, and God intervene. Have you? Have you ever seen somebody that's living in sin and their kid get healed or one of them get healed and something miraculous happened in their life and then they come back out and, and, and they say, well, I don't, I don't know what happened, but we're sure grateful to have them back. Because God takes us through this, this desert of sin and His desire is that we would know Him. He's wanting to win our hearts. He wants us to go into deeper levels of surrender. He doesn't just want us to rejoice at the Red Sea. He wants us to rejoice all through our lives. He doesn't want us just to look for deliverance at the Red Sea of salvation. He wants us to look for deliverance by Him all the days of our life. To walk in confidence before Him. To have the peace of God upon our lives. And you know what? It doesn't take perfection. <laughs> it doesn't take perfection. Now, pastor, the Bible says that the prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I understand that. Be righteous, my friends. But I want you to look outside of your life. I want you to look into your community. I want you to start praying for people that aren't saved, for their family members to get healed. Did Jesus heal people that were lost? Why? Because God wants them to know Him. It's this desert of sin. It's this, this life we walk through where God will do great things, divine interventions in people's lives. They don't have to be perfect. He wants them to be in relationship with Him. And He'll go to great measures and great lengths to do what it takes. In this circumstance, obviously, we see what happens. He says, I'll tell you what. I'll give you some food. You want food? You're hungry? You're going to know that it was not only me that brought you out that saved you, it's me that's going to give you the food that you need. God wanted them to get to a place of dependence upon Him and quit getting angry about things and quit acting out of their flesh, desiring fleshly things. It's a little later when their flesh is pricked again and, 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 and they're looking here at water. They said, we have no water. <laughs> We have no water. Exodus 17, verses 4 through 7. Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, Walk on ahead of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your, your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb, strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the place Massa and Meribah which, because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Can you see how offensive that is to God? This God that provides us food every day, every day, the, the, the food that I got up this morning and ate, the bread that was on the ground that I got, and the meat in the evening, all this food that I'm getting, I just ate it today. And today, because I don't have the water that I want, I'm going to look up and I'm actually going to question if God's around or not. Is He really with us? You really with us, God? Because I know I'm eating the man, but I don't even think you're with us. I don't get it. It doesn't make sense, does it? 
But see, that's how we are in the valley, in the desert of sin. That's, that's how we are when we walk through this life. It goes from one thing to another. We say, well, God, where are you, God? 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 And all the while, God's intervening over and over and over again in our lives, trying to win our hearts to get us to a place of repentance, deeper levels of submission, so that we walk closer with Him. He say, Pastor Bob, these people are saved. They're saved. What's the big deal? They came across the Red Sea. Listen, I needed deeper surrender than what I had my first time to the altar. Go ahead, think about that, Pastor. You can't get any more you're saved than what you are. I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking surrender, folks. I got up from the altar and I thought I had it together. I thought, I'm saved. I'll never be the same again. Oh, I'm a child of God. I can't, nothing can stop me now. And then I go out the door and, and everything was stopping me. I wasn't nearly as surrendered as I thought I was. And today I'm more surrendered than I was then. And I hope 10, 15 years from now I'm, I'm more surrendered than I am today. That's what God's calling us to. He's not calling us to a salvation experience. He's not calling us to a one-time prayer or a christening or a baptism or whatever. Do whatever it is that He's called us to do in obedience like water baptism. But we can't look back into that and say, are you saved? I can't stand before Him someday and say, and and Jesus said, are you saved? Do you know me? I say, well, I was baptized at, at nine years old. Listen. He wants to take you into relationship. And if you've put your hope in an action that we've been called to do in obedience, okay? There is no work that's going to get you into heaven. Amen. There isn't. We take this communion a little bit, that's not going to make you any more saved than you were before you came in the door. This is, this, these are ordinances that we've been called to do. We have got to be in a place of submission to the Spirit of God as He leads us. I need to hurry up because I'm running out of time. 1 Corinthians 10 says this, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. Now these things occurred as examples to us, keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Our circumstances, folks, leave us with a decision. Am I going to trust God or am I not going to trust God? It's that simple. In this circumstance, it's hard today. Whatever it may be, is it a physical thing, whatever? Is it a family thing? Am I going to trust God or am I not going to trust God? And and Paul's warning here is is, is that you can walk this walk and, and not make it into the promises that he has for you because you didn't trust him. And he's there desiring and all the while intervening and all we have to do is trust him. It doesn't make sense for us not to. We have to realize that that this symbol that God gave them, he said, I'm going to give you bread from heaven. We have to know that our provision for us today is Jesus Christ. He is the bread from heaven. He said, I am the bread. I am that bread. I am the bread. He is the bread of presence, folks. He's the bread that's broken at, at, the, at the table when he's sitting there and they're doing communion. They're, they're having the, the, the Passover meal together. He is that bread, that body that's broken. I am, he says. He is the rock that the water flowed from. Paul says he is that rock that followed and accompanied them through the wilderness. Jesus Christ is that rock. He is the avenue of provision. As great as it is that Moses struck the rock and water flowed out of its, out of its side. Huh. That provision's pretty cool, but we see the connection of a spear going into the side of our Savior where blood and water of provision flowed out for all of mankind. We see and know that Jesus is the rock. He is, that, he is the, uh, the cornerstone. He is the stumbling block. He is the one that they look at and, and stumble over Him because the Jews don't want to submit to the fact that He's the Messiah. 
Daniel said he's the stone that's been cut out of the mountain, that's not been cut out by human hands, that crushes the feet of the kingdoms of the Antichrist. We see all through the Scripture when Moses goes up in the mountain, he says, Lord, show me your glory. And he says, go hide yourself in the cleft of the what? In the cleft of the rock. The only way we can approach God, the only way that we can be in relationship with Him is through this provision of the rock that He's given us. You see, it's a picture of this life, folks. You say, God hasn't provided anything for me. There's been no provision for me. But listen, you have to have provision because you cannot survive in this world without His provision. You can't. Don't believe me? I might show you. Ready? What can we expect? What can we expect as we walk with Christ through this life? I should... <laughs> I'm going to do it again. I, uh, while I was in Tennessee, I saw a big thing of shelves for cards, greeting cards, encouragement, inspirational cards from one of our uh, television preachers. I don't care how much encouragement you get, my friends, you need Jesus Christ. And I was pleased to find that there was at least a scripture in the card this big. Praise God for the scripture. But listen to me. You cannot get through this life without the divine intervention of Christ. Matthew 10, 16. I know people can say the walk with Christ is all wonderful. Oh, when you're a Christian, it's all great and perfect. Listen to me. This is what Jesus said. You ready for what Jesus said? Yeah. <laughs> Matthew 10, 16. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Two things we see here. The expectation for us to do what we can do. Be shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. Okay, you need to be shrewd and innocent. Have you ever known somebody to be rude and guilty? That would be me more than once in my life. Shrewd and innocent. We've got to use our heads. We've got to think. We've got to be, use what God's given us, a brain. Amen? How many of us know that, it, that you still got to use your brain, saved or not? Right? We've got to be innocent in that process to bring glory to God and to carry the gospel. Now, he compares us to sheep, sheep that are shrewd and innocent, yet thrown among wolves. And I've seen sheep before. Let me just share something with you. Sheep is hopeless in this situation. There's no hope for the sheep. You throw a shrewd, innocent sheep amidst wolves, it's a dead, shrewd, innocent sheep. Isn't it? There's no hope for the sheep in this situation. You put a sheep out somewhere, you put a whole flock of sheep out somewhere with three wolves, and it's just a matter of hungry days until finally there's a whole bunch of wolves and no sheep. True or false? When you throw sheep out amongst wolves, it's a hopeless, hopeless, hopeless situation. And when you're thrown into the desert of sin as a sheep in the midst of the wolves of sin, there is a hopeless situation with the exception of one, one hope. Your shepherd. Amen. See, that first part says, I'm sending you out. <laughs> sheep don't go. And Jesus said, uh, the sheep know me and they hear my voice and they follow me. He said, I'm going to send you out as sheep among wolves. Listen to me, folks. Get this picture in your head. Just as the children of Israel were hopeless in that desert without the, ho without the help of God intervening and giving them food to eat and water to drink, you and I are just as hopeless if we try to live this life upon ourselves and without the help and the divine intervention of God. Amen. Use your head. Be shrewd. Be sharp. Be innocent. But know that at the end of the day, you are not living on bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. 
It's, it's not based upon what you can do right or wrong. Use those things, but know who your shepherd is. Amen? We see where Jesus promised this, Mark 16, 17 through 20. And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And they will drink deadly poison and it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and he sat at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere. And the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. And you and I, if we were told by the Lord that you're going out and you're you're going to have to face demon-possessed people, poisonous snakes, and you may drink, drink poison because people want to kill you. What would you do? I didn't sign up for this. <laughs> if my wife, she sees a little snake this big, a little guard snake, she'll scream and run. <laughs> but by the power of God in her, when she's weak, she can be strong and pick that snake up if that's what God's will is. Listen to me. Nobody wants to sign up and deal with demon-possessed people. I don't care who you are. I don't wake up in the morning and say, Oh, Lord, send me a demon-possessed person today. Lord, I want to cast demons out today. I want to see the demon. Lord, give me the demons. Lord, send poisonous snakes across my path right now in Jesus' name. Lord, I would love for somebody to hate me so much that they would poison my water. Who poisoned the water hole? There's a snake in my boot. I think Woody was a Christian. I didn't know that. That just hit me all of a sudden. Woody from Toy Story. Come back, Bob. Come back. I've been on vacation. This is not in my notes, Lord. Help me. We don't want those things. But hear me again. The circumstances create, the conflict and the circumstances create the right atmosphere for the divine intervention of God for the miraculous to take place. Without the conflict, without the confrontation, without the threats of people, without the threats of nature, without a demonic hatred towards God and, and hatred towards us, would things come against us? Without those things, we would never see the miraculous. Without a desert of sin, without the life walking through and depending upon God, you will never see the miraculous. But bless God, because I am weak, He is strong. And whatever it is that He sees to put me through, His grace is sufficient for me. And as long as His grace is sufficient for me, I can put my hope in my great shepherd because I can walk out, bless God, amongst wolves and he's got a staff that's big enough to knock him out of my way. I don't have to be afraid because God will intervene. I just have to be faithful to Him. Amen? I just have to hear His voice. I have to walk after Him. And even at times when I stray, even at times where I wander away, when I am not faithful, He is still faithful. If Amber would come, worship team, whoever. This morning, I, I just want to close out these thoughts. I want to remind you that God wants to be known. Okay, He wants us to know Him. And because of that, He's going to allow us to be thrown into circumstances we don't like. Sometimes we have to be thrown into impossible situations before we look and see the possible that He can do through our impossible. And sometimes we have to remember and remind ourselves that God's not going to protect us from anything that's going to perfect us. I shared that a few weeks ago. He's not going to protect us from temptation. He's going to allow us to be tempted so that it will expose what's within us so that we can repent. 
Whatever you face today, whatever it is that you go through, your shepherd is not too far away to hear your voice. Whatever it is that's facing you in this valley, this, this desert of sin, whatever it is that you face, our shepherd is not too far away and his arm is not too short to deliver and his staff is not too far away to protect you. I promise you that. God never purposed for us to walk in this life and to be comfortable. If you're looking for comfort in faith, if you're looking for comfort in Christianity and being comfortable and happy, you're, you're looking for the wrong things. It's, you're not going to find it. Here's why. God loves us too much to give us too much comfort. Listen to this. Moses told the children of Israel, just after they got through the wilderness and, and they were going into the promised land, this is my last scripture, hang with me just for a minute. He said this to them. He said, otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful desert, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the desert, something your fathers had never known to humble and to test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms His covenant, which He swore to your forefathers as it is today. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed. Like the nations the Lord destroyed before you, so you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. God will not allow us to forget Him. He's going to pursue us relentlessly. He's going to provide for us. He's going to do all He can to win our hearts, to, to win a, a deeper submission to His will. He's going to do the miraculous. In whatever situation it is that you are dealing with today, if it's an impossibility, if it's, if it's a health issue, if it's a family, relational issue, social issue, whatever it may be, if it's financial and you've, if you've honored God with, with your wealth, you've honored Him with your first fruits, all of those things, and you still seem to be in a drought and things aren't working, if you need rain, bless God. It hadn't rained at my house. It, you guys got two inches of rain. You didn't get a drop at my house, not one. We, we need rain, folks. Whatever the impossibility is, it's time for us to bring it to God and say, Lord, here it is. And you know what he's going to say? He's going to say, you know that I provide. It's me that provides. Watch. Watch what I can do. Everything that we have need of today has been provided for, for us through the bread that's been given and the rock that poured out a red fluid for our atonement. This morning, if our men would come, we're going to pass out the elements. We're going to take communion together at the close of our service.